0: Hey there, fellow law entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 394 of The Law Entrepreneur. I'm Neil Tyree, your host once again. And because of the holiday uh, week coming up here, uh, Thanksgiving 2023, uh, we have a bit of a shortened week, and so we're going to reach back into the archives and uh, pull out a old episode, frankly, episode 15 from way back on May 9th, 2016. So, um, I'd all, only been doing this podcast about three months when I had my good friend Sean Morris on the program. And until will hear, Sean and I graduated from law school together. And Sean was one of the very first attorneys that I knew who actually niched down his practice to something very unique. And that is the legal needs of the restaurant. And a bar community. And as a result, he's known affectionately, at least by me and, and the others, as the restaurant lawyer here in the Washington, D.C. area. And his message from back in 2016 rings just as true today in 2023 as it did then, as his practice is still thriving, more so even than at the time we first spoke. And his expertise and his reputation. Is even more solid. So I think it's a great testimony to how focused he was on providing services to a small community that actually allowed him to grow into a very successful legal practice. So without any further delay, once again, here is Sean Morris. Did you ever feel like what you learned in law school didn't prepare you for the world of running a law practice? Law school didn't teach us how to start our practices the right way so that we could scale them into a thriving business. We didn't learn how to make sure that our businesses would meet our financial goals and provide the type of lifestyle we deserve. After 10 years, I was fed up with struggling in my practice and decided to begin a journey to scaling a successful practice that would actually allow me to finally live the life I've always dreamed of. I invite you to listen in on the conversations I'm having with some of the most successful solo and small firm practitioners along with leading business entrepreneurs, and share how I am implementing what I am learning, all with the goal of helping you take control of your practice and your life. This is The Law Entrepreneur. Welcome, law entrepreneurs, to episode 15 of The Law Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Neil Tyra, as always, and today... I get to speak with my good friend and fellow law school graduate, Sean Morris. Sean is a graduate of the Georgetown University and the Columbus School of Law at the Catholic University of America. Not just any Catholic university, but the Catholic University of America, where he was second in his class. Now, I'm pretty sure that he would have been first in our class had it not been for that flight of tequila we shared the night before our constitutional law exam. Well, at least that's what I'm blaming my grade on. Sean's (laughs) practice focuses on the needs of small and medium-sized businesses, and in particular, he's focused in on the legal needs of restaurant owners, and he's one of the most sought-after authorities in the D.C. metro area on alcoholic beverage matters across all industries, not just restaurants. As a licensed commercial real estate broker, Sean also provides unique expertise in the area of retail and restaurant leases. So with all that by way of introduction, let's chat here with Sean Morris. Hey there, Sean Morris. Welcome to The Law Entrepreneur. Great to be here. Glad to talk to you. Yeah, Thanks for taking the time to be with me today. Sean, tell us a little about your practice and how you got to be where you are today.
1: Well, where I am right now, I have a primarily a small business practice small medium sized business, and that entails you know just what it sounds like, all the stuff that small business needs, entity formation, operating agreements, uh, real estate issues that come up, contract issues, all purchases and sales of businesses, occasional litigation, though decreasingly so and what I do is I do a fair amount of that work for restaurants. So it actually has a, a fairly strong liquor licensing component is a unique aspect to, obviously, the restaurant business. If you're you know, running an auto body shop, you don't have a liquor license issue. So the, really, the core of my practice is sort of being a vertically integrated, you know, holistic lawyer for, for restaurants, getting you from forming your LLC, buying your business, if, if that's the situation, buying a restaurant, Creating an operating agreement if you have partners, all the way through to getting your liquor license and getting your doors open. How long have you been in practice, Sean? I have been in practice for going on 11 years. I've been in solo practice for this is year six.
0: Okay. And tell us about before you became solo, what were you doing?
1: I was was in big firm practice. I was very fortunate to have done well in law school and got on the big firm track, which I'll confess was never the intention. But I, you know, they they pay very well. And I had law school loans and I was getting married. And so I I started out my my career in large firm, private practice, did that for for really, really big firms for four years and then spent about three years at at a more medium sized law firm. And then back in 2010, started my own practice, started my own firm.
0: Well, in spirit of full disclosure, here I will tell our audience that Sean and I went to law school together. We graduated in the same class from the Catholic University of America, and when he says he did very well in law school, that's an understatement. So Sean, Sean was a superstar. The other 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 members of this conversation, not so much, (laughs) (laughs) but but Neil, look at us now. There you go. Exactly. All all paths lead to in the same location sometimes. So when you decided to go out solo, what was your motivation? What what prompted you to do so?
1: Well there was sort of big picture I guess big picture and small picture things. The big picture thing is I, is something I always wanted to do. Uh, like I said, it was never my intention to be a partner at a big law firm or or, or to do be representing Coca-Cola or, or or things like that. That was never my intention. i I always wanted to be the kind of lawyer that worked with regular people and people starting businesses and trying to take care of their families. that's That's always the lawyer I wanted to be. And, you know, my my dad, my grandfather. You know, I come from a line of people who have this sort of their own business. So just instead of my dad had Morris Consulting, I have the Morris Law Firm. So, it, that, so it's in my blood. I guess was was something that I always wanted to do. And then, as time went on in my career, and I you know got got married, started a family, I sort of thought that ship had sailed. I said, you know, this you know it doing, doing that is not not responsible. It's not advisable. But 2010 came along and, you know, the economy was not great. And it's it sounds strange to say that the economy not being great prompted me to do this. But, you know, it just the the idea of the of the law firm brass ring and that you could just kind of put your head down and s- spend 30 years at a law firm didn't seem realistic either. And depending on that didn't seem responsible or advisable either so in 2010 I just said you know it's it's now or never I we had my wife and I we had a, a small child at the time and she was very supportive and said you know go give it a shot go give it a shot and it was sort of the idea of let's put the ball in the air and see what happens yep. and you know it's funny I remember someone saying to me at the time oh how could you do this in this economy how could you and I said well you know it's not like I'm coming in and there's a pile of work on my desk and I have eight hours of billables and I can just do that and be made partner and, and do all that. That, that, had gone away too. So I'm, I'm, I believe in myself. I've always believed in myself and I did. And I, thankfully, like I said, I had a, I had a wife who believed in me too. And so that was the, that was the, mo- the immediate motivation was at, at that time was if I'm going to have to do this myself, let's actually do it myself. Yeah.
0: I think the, the, economic situation in 2009 2010 you know it created a lot of solo practices some out of necessity some out of desire you know there were people who were forced out of big law and medium-sized law practices and their only option was to hang out their shingle and then there's others who were lucky enough to to remain in large firms or medium-sized firms but now they're looking at doing a whole heck of a lot more work and that wasn't appetizing either so even though they made the cut a fair number of them opted to, to open solo practices. So it sounds like you're
1: kind of in that mix. Right, and I think I didn't want to go from that latter group into the former group. Yeah. I wanted to do it on yeah. my own terms. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, when you were in law school, did you focus on business law? You know, I, I didn't. I had a very, I, I don't want to say haphazard, um, but but a very broad course load so I, I didn't i didn't at the time think I was going to be be a business lawyer certainly didn't think I was going to be a restaurant lawyer. I was just sort of thinking I just was really interested in different areas of the law and tried to take as many different classes and courses in those different areas as i could
0: yet when you uh, went to big
1: law firm world, did you go straight to business law in that environment no, no i I started out working in energy and environmental law. And then when I switched firms, did did actually some white collar and antitrust litigation. So that was a completely, a, a big change then. And then went into more of a general practice, litigation practice. So the, really the first six years of, of my practice we're, were not doing any of this more business advisory or transactional work it was an administrative and then litigation practice. And it was just not something I I particularly enjoyed. And it was looking for another way to practice law that was less adversarial, less confrontational and more more sort of being in in keeping with my idea of of an attorney as a, as a confidant and advisor role. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, that, um, The law is one of the
0: very few professions, I think, that you can change courses in midstream. If you find, like myself, that you're not particularly enjoying criminal prosecution, you can turn around and do personal injury and or family law. And if that doesn't appeal to you, you can switch gears again and start to do estate planning, and elder law. That's that's my career path. So I think that's something unique about uh, the practice of law.
1: Absolutely. And I think particularly, it's particularly unique to practicing law in a small or solo law firm. Good luck being at a big firm downtown where you're doing Foreign Corrupt Practices Act work and go up to them and say, you know what, I'd really like to do you know, like in my example, I'd really like to do restaurant leasing and liquor licensing work. They'd say, okay, well, well good good Look, luck. Clean out your desk and tell us how it goes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's also humorous.
0: I remember our first day, literally our first day at, at Catholic, the Columbus School of Law at Catholic University. I remember them saying, put down on this piece of paper what type of law you, you want to practice when you graduate. It was our literally our first day. and I remember that. And, you know, they Said I forget who it was. It might have been Father O'Brien who said it. Said that. Well, listen, you don't have to know the answer to that question today, but by the end of this semester, you better understand the answer to that question. Huh. And I think it's ironic that both of us <laughs> are, or neither of us, are doing what we set out to do, you know, in the beginning. So it's right. just, it's just one of those
1: things. And I'll say, and, you know, to, to give you a sense of, of like my journey there is even as a solo, I spent the first year or two as a solo, you know, just doing everything that came in the door. Like a lot of solos do right. D- divorces, you know, kind of petty, petty litigation of people just fighting. But, but anything, anything that came in the door, just, you know, I have, I had, like I said, I had a baby and the story I always tell is on, on, and you want to, you want to know how supportive my wife is. And I've mentioned that, but on Monday I told my firm I was leaving on Tuesday, my wife told me we were expecting our second child. (laughs) So it was, you know, I had, I had, you know, another mouth to feed on the way I started with no clients. So I was taking I was taking everything that came in the door and was not particularly happy. And as time went on, I said, you know, maybe I, maybe I just need to leave the practice of law altogether. You know, I practice in big firms, I practice on my own, and I'm just not happy. And I thought, well, what, what are the things that I've liked over time? And I, you know, as a, as a young man through, through college, through graduate school, I always was a person who worked in restaurants. I loved the restaurant business. I loved the operations side of it. And I said, well, let me see if I can do something to be around those people more. I knew I didn't want to shut down my law practice and open a restaurant. Right. I'm not that brave, but I knew I want I thought maybe I could try to be around these people more. I, I admire what they do. I love the business. And that's was, you know, 3 4 years ago where this pra- this part of my practice, which has really become the bulk of it, came from. And and, and it's it's a, and and that is something that is again, I think unique to the practice of law is you can really involve yourself almost vicariously in, uh, in other people's businesses and learn their businesses and, and enjoy the excitement and fun and ups and downs of their businesses a- as a part of their team. Right.
0: You know, I, you're talking about taking in any kind of case or just about any kind of case in the beginning. What Our guest, I think, she's on episode four, Nakia Gray, she referred to that as food law, (laughs) you know, the type of law necessary to put food on the table. Right. That that was pretty, pretty impressive. The other thing is, is there's so many advisors, so many coaches with respect to developing your law practice will urge you to find your niche in the law, which Mm -hmm. is pretty hard to do, frankly, because One, there's so many attorneys and two, there's a lot of people who practice in specific areas and people don't recognize what it means to niche down and to refine the focus of their client base. But you've done exactly that from being a, a small business attorney to really focusing in on one area of small businesses and that being the restaurant Business and associated, you know, liquor provisions uh, with those businesses. So, was that your biggest challenge being a solo, trying to find that niche, or was there something else that was a a challenge for you that that you've overcome?
1: That that was that was. I don't know if it was the biggest challenge. And as you know, Neil, there there are challenges, ongoing challenges. The challenges are never in your rearview mirror. But that I'll, I'll certainly say that was that was one of the biggest challenges, and it was because of what i described of this you know this early part of that practice of of trying to be all things to all people oh you got a child custody issue i'm your guy you have a contract dispute i'm your guy and you can only go get by for so long doing that and again there's a lot of lawyers out there a lot of people doing all that kind of work so if you try to be all things to all people you'll never be the guy they think of for x so and I saw a lot of people, like you described, fi- finding that niche in a particular area of the law, be it family law or employment law or criminal law. And I tried to, when I was searching and planning and, and f- trying to figure out where I wanted to, what I wanted to make my law practice, I said, well, what if rather than, rather than being someone who does employment law across industries, for example, what if I took an industry and, and really focused on the needs of that industry, whatever they may be, and to, to, to learn that industry from, 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 you know, not from top to bottom, not, not every aspect of it, but from the legal side of it to really understand what the biggest concerns were and establish myself as a, as a go-to person for that industry as opposed to a, a specific area of the law and again because because the because the restaurant and hospitality business was one that I had a, I had an affinity for and a working knowledge of, that was was ended up being being the one that I, I decided to focus on. And and it's been it's been it's been really rewarding. It's been a lot of fun. So I, I feel like that was a good decision when it was made. And it's, and so far it's going okay and I, I hope it continues to, of course.
0: Support for today's episode comes from Ruby, the number one client communication solution for growing legal practices. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Ruby creates exceptional experiences for your callers and website visitors. They take messages, screen and transfer callers, schedule appointments, perform new client intake, confirm details with outbound calls, and can answer in English and Spanish, and a whole lot more. Just like an in house receptionist, only better because they turn every ring into a relationship. Ruby can work full time, part time, or as a backup, and you can change your instructions anytime with their top rated mobile app and online dashboard. Plus, Ruby integrates with tools such as Clio, Lexiclata, MyCase, and Rocket Matter. It all adds up to more opportunities and more time saved. In fact, 90% of legal professionals who use Ruby capture more billable hours than the national average, with many recording double or more. That's five or more billable hours per day. To experience the Ruby difference for yourself, visit get.ruby.com slash That's get.ruby.com slash T-L-E, as in the law entrepreneur, for up to $150 off your first month. Imagine you, powered by Ruby. As a law firm owner, you take responsibility for driving more revenue for your firm. But how much of that revenue ends up as bottom line profit? Ryan Kimler, the net profit CFO, helps law firms drive more top line revenue to bottom-line profit. The two game-changing tools are the scorecard, so you can actually know what your numbers are and can make informed decisions, and the action plan, so you know how to get your numbers where you want them to be and drive more net profit. To learn more about Ryan, check out episode 306 of The Law Entrepreneur, and you can get a free profit acceleration call by going to go.com. Once Hub, that's O-N-C-E-H-U-B go.oncehub.com slash profit I will also tell you just as an aside I am a client of Ryan's I've been working with him for the past six months frankly ever since he did that episode with me I signed on with him to be a client and I've been thrilled with the kind of information and insight he's been able to give me so do yourself a favor Yo, know, get that free call and check out Brian Gimler at netprofit What area of solo practitioner were do you feel you were the least prepared to address? what area of, of, of being a solo practitioner? Let me get my verb conjugation proper. What area do you feel you were least prepared to address, and how have you overcome that?
1: I think I was least prepared to address. The fact that all the administrative stuff had to be done by me—from answering the phones to sending out the bills to getting copy paper—all that stuff that when you work at a law firm just sort of gets done. Yeah, and I think I knew going in that I was going to have to do it. It's not like I expected that elves would show up. Exactly (laughs) that I use that elves analogy all the time, and it's perfect. Yes, exactly, but the amount of time that that takes away from either your billable work, your, your billable client work, however, however you're billing your clients, or, and the business development work is difficult. And, and I'm still not as good at, we talking about overcoming, and I'm still not as good at delegating as I should be, especially this this far along, but being able to outsource some of it and find find good software to make that process run more smoothly. Yeah, even if it's a little, maybe a little bit more expensive to outsource it, then you know you think doing it yourself is free, but it's of course not. So that's that's still and that's still a challenge I face in sort of the day to day operations and running in my practice. But that's one I'm getting better at. Well, tell us think go ahead.
0: Tell us a little bit about your staffing. How how are you set up these
1: days? I am still a one man one man shop here. I share office space with another solo practitioner who has an associate and I'm able to share with that associate every now and now and again, when, when the, when the need arises, I outsource the, to a, I have a virtual receptionist. Who do you use for your virtual receptions? I use call Ruby. Okay. Same as me. Yep. They're fantastic. I'll give them a plug. Yep. I, they, they, they changed my practice immeasurably yeah they've been fantastic worth every penny
0: i spoke to them at the avo conference uh, a couple weeks ago and hopefully we're going to have a representative from call ruby on here shortly but to me it it was you you pay a premium there are other uh, virtual receptionist services that perhaps are cheaper but to me, they're the best, and and they've paid for themselves many times over in in my practice.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. As we go off the rail here for a second, sure. You know, I I have as I've transitioned my practice to estate planning and elder law, my client base has gotten considerably older, and so I had a, a client coming in for a meeting who couldn't find my office and called the uh, called my number. Of course, went to the to mm-hmm. Ruby receptionist and the receptionist found out where he was by having him describe what he saw around him and then figured out on mapquest or google maps how to get from where he was to where i am and stayed on the phone with him and walked him all the way to the door of my office which i thought was service oh my goodness over oh. and above and then turned around and removed that charge from my bill because they didn't feel that I should pay for that extended time. Wow, And that's, that's just a, that's just that's kind a great of story. Yeah, just kind of service that, that, that Ruby provides. So and you're, you're located uh, in, in Bethesda, you said, right? That's, that's right. So that's a suburb here in, in, in Washington, and you share office w- with, with another attorney, kind of describe the office environment for me.
1: We have, there's one other, well, there's two other attorneys on our floor. It's a, it's a small, um, I don't know how much detail you want. We have a small, you know, three-story office building in, in down, downtown Bethesda. Okay. I, have, I have my own office and a small conference room. There's other conference facilities, conference facilities here in the office. And then there's a couple of other small business people who are also are, are on the floor with us. But it's, it's a very friendly, collegial atmosphere Which is great as a solo. So we still, you sort of still have the you know chatting around the around the coffee pot kind of stuff, and going and getting a drink after work, and and those sorts of things. So was that your uh, original solo space? No, no. I um I originally was up by the courthouse when I for the first for the first year, you know here here in our, our local suburb. And quickly realized, I don't need to be near the courthouse. I don't need to run run across the street because, you know, I got, I got a client in lockup or something like that. Right. I don't go to court all that often. And like I said, you know, I, I used to do more litigation than I do now. And I very infrequently have to actually go to court now. And so I wanted to be, as opposed to where the courthouse is and where all the lawyers were, I wanted to be where more business people were. And I lived in Bethesda at the time, so that was that was convenient as well. But that's why that's why I was was the big impetus to move from Rockville, which is our yeah. local county seat, down here down here to Bethesda.
0: Well, and for the restaurant uh, attorney, you can't get any better than Bethesda. I think. Exactly. I think I read somewhere along the lines that uh, Bethesda has more restaurants per square mile, or within the city boundaries, or some other some. You know, delimiter than San Francisco. Oh, how about
1: that? And it's yeah. great. I can go, I can, I can have a client call me up and I'll say, Hey, I'll, I'll run over and bring you over a copy of that lease assignment. And we can sit down and we'll sit down in a booth in their restaurant and go over it. Right. right. Which, that's a lot more fun than running over to the courthouse to the guy in lockup. There is that. Does technology play a role in your firm? It does. I'm trying to be paperless like everybody else. Like I said, you know I have a virtual receptionist, which is which is fantastic. I use I use Clio for all my billing and practice management, which other than Call Ruby is probably the other thing that has has changed my practice more than anything else. And so
0: and so with Clio, you can you can run that from your laptop, your desktop, your
1: your tablet and your and your phone, right? Yes, and it's just it's such an it's a, it's a terrific interface. Because it's so easy to use, I keep track of my time better. I'm, I'm better about getting my bills out. So you're,
0: you're doing time capture in Clio as well as billing. Yes. So basically, Clio is providing your end to end law practice management
1: support. Yes. Yes. Right? And and I, I I use a lot of Apple devices. yeah. So, the, so the there you Apple, go. So the Apple ecosystem is fantastic for that. My calendars everywhere. My phone rings everywhere. So that that's great as well.
0: I have a quick question about Clio and, and your Apple products. Do you, how does the calendar in Clio sync with your Apple calendar?
1: I don't use the calendar function in Clio. I use the, I, I rely solely on the Apple. Calendar. I see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm kind of trying to resolve with uh, a couple of different Law practice management tools.
1: Yeah, and I think Clio has even more functionality than I use. Well,
0: that's typically the case with any practice management software. Yeah. You know, attorneys find different parts of it that work, you know, better for them. What's the biggest mistake you made? Oh boy! And keep in mind, we only have another you know, fifteen
1: twenty minutes. <laughs> I, I, I think the ongoing and the biggest the biggest mistake I probably made at the at the early part uh, was was trying to take on. Matters that I didn't have a good understanding of what was involved with yeah. that. and I and that and that went away real quick. It's just not worth it to try to learn on the job because you think, oh boy, the phone's not going to ring again. So I need to take on this case. And one of the things that I've learned over time is refer those. They'll they, and they will come back to you
0: exactly. I've heard that from one of our bar association members who said that. For so many new solo practices, it's the quickest way to trouble. Is ta- yeah. taking on a case that you don't have the background to do, and it's a catch twenty-two because if you're a brand new attorney, you don't have the background to do a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a that's a issue that you have to resolve. How do you how do you market your firm? How do you get clients?
1: I do I do a mix. I try to do a lot of face to face. I find that one of the best things, one of the things I'm best at is sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody. So I'll reach out to, you know, other people, accountants, real estate brokers, people like that who work and work with similar clients to me and say, hey, and that's another thing, great thing about it being here in Bethesda is a lot of people like that. And I say, that's, you want get, to get lunch? You want to get a cup of coffee? And I don't have any problem picking up the phone and calling those people. So it's really old fashioned networking. And relationship building, so that's what that's a big part of it. And then the other part of it is the more 21st century style of writing blog posts and being active on social media and trying to maintain that kind of web presence, such that when someone thinks of what I what I want them to think of is when they think of of an issue. In, in the area of law that, I, that I'm focusing on and in the industry I'm focusing on, they'll say, well, you know, he's the guy. He's the guy who does that. I, I see him all over the place.
0: Yeah. So content marketing through your blog, tell us a little bit about how you set that up and how often you blog and what your process is for for doing so.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to do it. My One of my New Year's resolutions for 2016 has been to be more disciplined about blogging more frequently. I'd love to do a post a week. And I know the people who who talk about this say, you should even do more than that, but you get busy. And then, you know, a couple of weeks have gone by. So I just try to, what, what usually it is, is I'll see something in a, in a newspaper or a blog or something that I'll say, well, this is relevant to my, my target client base. Even if it's not directly on point, it'll, I'll say, well, you know, there, there was this story and, and here's how it relates to you, local restaurant owner or small business person. And I'll post, I'll, I'll write, a, you know, four or five paragraphs on it. And I usually put it up on my website. I have a blog section on my website. And then I'll tweet it, put it, put it out on LinkedIn. And then usually I, uh, I'll uh, maybe give it a couple of days and maybe do, do, a, do another follow up. But that's that's and just just the push, pushing it out on social media after I put it on my website. But I find I think because I'm always putting fresh content on my website that I have a I have a very good search engine results as sure. well because my website is never stale.
0: Yeah. Do you go to any industry shows or conferences for the restaurant business?
1: A little bit. I I um, you know I'm a member of the Bethesda Chevy Chase Chamber of Commerce. So I, I'll meet people there. I find though, you know, a lot of my clients are, are working hard. They're not at those conferences. That's interesting. You know, I, you know, I think if I were, and I, and I think this will come with time if I represented more national chains and then you go and you, you go to the conferences and maybe the director of real estate is there and you meet them. But a lot of my, my clients are, you know they they might be multi unit operators they might run 4 or 5 restaurants but they're they're in their cars they're going from from place to place so what i'm what i'm trying to do is you know catch them on their schedule where they might have a little break and might have a chance to to chat for 10 minutes uh, about about what their challenges are or to get them again you know every, every restaurant owner you you know you own 4 or 5 restaurants you you need an accountant If you're opening up a new one, you're probably hiring a real estate broker to find it. So in in that way, with my relationships across industries, you know we can all be sort of force multipliers for one another. When my brother was in the restaurant business, he
0: used to make friends with the vendors because the vendors were going to all the restaurants. Right. And so he would go to the shows where the vendors are, not necessarily where the restaurateurs were.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly right is is the, the restaurateurs are are busy, but there are other people out there who want who are trying to who have the same customer slash client target base that I do and meeting them because everybody, you know, wants to help out their clients and their customers. So a, a vendor is talking to a one of their customers and he says, "Oh, geez, I'm having a big problem with X. And that guy could say, well, you know, I know a lawyer who, who works with restaurant owners. And, and that's and I think that having those those personal relationships like that is fantastic because there's no, as you know, there's nothing that beats a personal referral that says, I know, Neil, Neil will take care of you. Call him. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, let me ask you this uh, last question, then. What's the grand scheme for the Sean Morris law firm? Where where do you. Hope to take this in the near term in the long term.
1: Well, in in the near term, I, I, I want to, you know, keep having the time to to spend time with my kids and not get so su- sucked into the work that I, I don't get to do that because that's one of the great things about yeah. like I said, I have little kids. One of the great things about being your own boss and being a a solo practitioner is to have that flexibility. So so I'm trying to maintain that while still growing the firm, because I still have to take care of those kids sure. as as well. But what I would like to see, you know, five years down the road, I'd love to be the guy who when if if you're a, a, a small, fast, casual burger place in the Midwest and you're saying I want to take on the D.C. area, who's the guy to call to help with that, that I'd be the guy, you yeah. know, that that it's just that that that's I, I want to continue to get to know People get to know the operators, get to know all, all the people here. But I, but that, that would be my ultimate goal going forward. That's, I mean, that's the dream that it is to be, is to be the person who everyone says they're, they're the go to in this industry. And that, that's where I was when I started doing this a few years back. And nothing has changed except, except for probably the, the level of ambition. Because with each passing year, it seems more and more possible.
0: Do you also practice in uh, the district? I do and how about
1: virginia? I do not.
0: Okay. So there's there's a fertile market there
1: as well. Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Northern yeah. Virginia is a is a fantastic market. But and then and then, you know, and my practice in DC is growing. Is growing. There's more there's more competition in this space down in DC. I don't think there's really many people out here who focus so readily on on what I'm doing. Right. Well,
0: Sean, thanks ever so much for being a
1: guest here. Oh, on, it's my pleasure. Uh, Thank you, Neil,
0: The Law Entrepreneur. And tell our uh, listeners how they can get a hold of you if they want to follow up and ask a question.
1: Well, absolutely. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn and see what everyone else is doing. And my website is www.MorrisESQ.com. So M-O-R-R-I-S-E-S-Q.com. And all my contact information is there. And I would love to hear from any of the listeners, even if it's just to say hi. And it's Sean,
0: S-E-A-N, correct? That is correct. Awesome. All right, Sean, thanks again for being part of the show. And we look forward to having you back on a future date. I would love it, Neil. It's been my pleasure. Well, there you have it, boys and girls, another episode of The Law Entrepreneur. I want to thank our sponsors for this episode, our good friends at Ruby. I can't say enough about Ruby, as you know, they've been my virtual receptionist for years now. I couldn't be happier with them, and I really urge all of you, if you need a virtual receptionist, that you give Ruby a chance. Also, Net Profit CFO, as I've mentioned before, Ryan Kimler was a guest on the program some time ago. I liked what he had to say so much, I became a client. And then after I became a client, he became a sponsor. So very happy about that arrangement. If you want to take your understanding of your financials in your law firm to that next step beyond just what your bookkeeper gives you back, give Ryan a call at Net Profit CFO. I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me the great favor of leaving a positive rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps with the opportunity us for us to get in front of other people. And until next week, I wish you all the best. And we'll see you again here on Law Entrepreneur.